0: So we're going to continue in First Peter, we're working towards the end, we're, in ch- we're starting chapter 5. Today it's First Peter, and I'm going to read from chapter 5, verse 1. And reading, Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, And one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you we thank god again today for his word given to lead us to guide us given to help us to form a right foundation in our life together so let's just come and pray as we come to this word. Father, we come, and as we come to your word, we come again acknowledging just our need of you, of a a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to help us to understand, to interpret, to apply, and then to live this word out. Lord, be with us as your people come, open to you and eager to hear from you. Lord, meet with us in your grace and in your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our our studies last week in in 1 Peter, our theme basically was a a little bit of a a biblical understanding, or at least an insight into an aspect of suffering. Now, I can't speak for anybody else here, but I have to say that, that I learned a lot as I looked last week at that passage about how we can deal with and understand suffering. Towards the end of it, for instance, we saw how our suffering should motivate us to evangelism. In that what we are going through now. Whatever we are suffering. Is a part of. Is a beginning of the judgment of God. But for us who believe. This judgment is a purifying. Is a refining fire. It's designed to make us holy. And to fit us for an eternity living in the presence of God. However. However. For those who do not believe, this fire, this suffering is but a foretaste, a precursor of the final judgment of God that will fall on those who have rejected God's offer of life with him through Jesus Christ. Now this ties in with what we're looking at now this morning. And that this passage centers in on the elders, the leaders of the church whose responsibility it is to safeguard this holiness and purity. The church is our holiness and purity. And among other things, what this passage looks at are the dangers, the particular dangers that elders, that leaders face in fulfilling their ministry of leadership within the church and also at the relationship that the relationship there must be between leaders and the church if the church is to be a church that's holy in its life that's pure in its doctrine prior to looking at all this though it's maybe necessary and appropriate just to define something of what it means when we speak of an elder you know it's Obviously, a leadership role, but but where do elders fit in to the church leadership structures in the New Testament? Just what is their particular role? We haven't got time to go right into this in detail this morning, and that isn't the main thrust, anyway, of, of this passage. But, you know, it is interesting that in the first two verses of 1 Peter 5, that not only do we find elders referred to, But in fact, verse 2 there could quite legitimately be translated. Be pastors of God's flock that is under your care serving as bishops stroke overseers. So you see the, the three terms elder, pastor, bishop or overseer are seen as being interchangeable. These are different ways of speaking about the same thing or different ways of speaking about different aspects of the same basic role the same basic task so you see there's not as some are maybe inclined to think some kind of leadership hierarchy you know maybe elders then pastor or maybe in other denominations I don't know maybe elder minister bishop or whatever no, but actually the three are just different ways in the Bible of speaking about the same basic role. For example, I see myself as an elder with a particular, a particular, sorry, teaching and pastoral role—a kind of full-time set apart elder. So maybe it's justifiable then, at this point, to extend the advice I believe it was Spurgeon reputedly gave to prospective pastors to also share that to prospective elders or anyone who's thinking of serving in leadership in the church. And his advice was this, that if you can do anything else, do it. If you can do anything else, do it. Because if you're called to it, to leadership in the church, and because you're called, you're so sustained and enabled by God, then it is a glorious and fulfilling calling. But if you're not called to it, if you could... Do something else. If you could serve in some other way, don't do it. Because if you're doing it because you feel you have to do it, then it is one of the most demanding and frustrating tasks imaginable. But let's move on, though. Peter, as we've said, has advice. He has a warning to give to leaders, elders. He's advice to give to the church that's designed to help the church to safeguard its purity, both morally in terms of lifestyle and also doctrinally in terms of doctrine, of teaching. But before he begins to dispense this, this very personal and pointed advice, particularly to the leaders of the church, well, he does something that if we can do it with integrity is always very, very helpful. That is, he begins with identification he begins by identifying himself especially with his fellow elders but also with the whole people of God because you know there is no better place to begin ministry than if you can do it with integrity it's no good saying it if it's not true people sense that they know that but there is nothing better than being able to say I know your weakness I understand your weakness I understand the situation and trials you're going through because I once stood where you now stand but God brought me through let me share with you then what he did for me that he might do it for you and certainly that's the the case here because this whole passage in fact This whole chapter just kind of reverberates, echoes with the the experience of Peter. It's as if in this last few closing verses, Peter just finally just wants to give all of himself. He really does want to share his heart with these churches that he's writing to. For example, in in verse 5, where there he urges God's people to clothe themselves with humility quoting from the bible the old testament proverbs three thirty four, because god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble well, surely here surely here we catch a glimpse of, of the shadow of that shameful episode recorded for us in john 13 where jesus there sought to wash his disciples feet but where the proud peter Reflecting his pride onto his master Jesus. What he would do unto Christ. Initially he would have none of this. And then later in verse 8 where he gives his warning there about Satan. This parallels with, with Jesus warning to him that, that Satan desired to have Peter. That he might sift them like wheat. Peter though didn't heed that warning. And so he ended up denying his Lord three times. Therefore, out of the, the burning and haunting memory of that experience, surely Peter instructs the churches here that he writes to, to verse 9 resist them, resist the devil, stand in firm in the faith. But it's in verse 1, though, that this identification takes place. In the way that's most relevant to what we're looking at now there's one let me read it to you again to the elders among you i appeal as a fellow elder a witness of christ's sufferings and one who will share in the glory to be revealed you see this is an unusual verse in a number of different ways for peter could have spoken of himself here It would have been more natural, more normal for him to to have spoken of himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. That is someone with a unique foundational ministry who therefore, because of that, held authority over them. But instead, and it is rather unusual, he speaks of himself as a fellow elder. That is one then who stands with them. And as he goes on to speak of himself as a witness of Christ's suffering, well again this is remarkable, this is highly unusual because usually when one of the apostles speaks of themselves as a witness, then they speak of themselves as a witness of the resurrection. Because that is the final confirming proof of the gospel message. And elsewhere, that's exactly what Peter does identify himself as. For example, in in Acts 2.32, where he says God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. In Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. But you see, as he describes himself, as a witness of Christ's suffering, well then I believe what he's laying bare, and it must have been an agonising cost to himself, is just what kind of witness he had actually been. Again, as we've said, one who failed to live up to his proud boasts, One whose courage failed him, and who denied Christ three times. But then Peter goes on and describes himself wonderfully and gloriously, As one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. That is the glory that will be every believer's experience when Jesus Christ returns. Now, if you put all this together, do you get what Peter's saying here? He's warning his fellow elders of the dangers that are part and parcel of their ministry. And he's saying that if these dangers are part of their life, and if they don't deal with these dangers, if they're overwhelmed by these dangers, then they will face the judgment of God. However, he's also saying, as one who's been through this experience personally, that this need not be the end of the road, that if they're ready to repent, Ready to face up to their situation, their heart, and deal with it, ready to deal with their sin. Then no matter how grievous their sin might have been, that God is able to restore them even more gloriously, as was his experience. But let's move on from looking at Peter's identification to look at the dangers, these dangers of leadership that he's warning the elders of this church of dangers that if they're present and undealt with would prevent them from fulfilling their ministry of safeguarding the church's purity and holiness, of leading the church into true, mature Christian living. For remember, as we're we're told here, as we're reminded here in in verse 2, the duties of an elder are... To pastor, that is to shepherd the flock, the people of God. And let's be clear, in New Testament times, a shepherd didn't drive the sheep, not as we do, as we often see shepherds do. Now, in New Testament times, their practice was a shepherd led the sheep and went ahead of the sheep to protect them and to lead them into safe pasture, safe feeding. And also, the duties of an elder include exercising oversight being an overseer of the church which means to seek to govern and to administer the life of the church in such a way as to protect the church from sin and so to promote this life of holiness and purity But, but what are though in fulfilling this duty the particular dangers and traps that elders and leaders can fall into, what are these dangers in fulfilling this ministry well three dangers here with their antidotes are laid out for us by Peter in verse 2 and 3 with someone no less than Calvin summarising them like this this is what he says and exhorting leaders to their duty Peter points out three vices especially which are often to be found namely sloth desire for gain and love for power So the first thing is sloth, or laziness in more up-to-date language. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. That is, in other words, don't lead in the church grudgingly. Don't do it because it's, Just a job, a job that has to be done. And so because of this, dragging your feet, doing the bare minimum. No, Peter says, unless you lead because you know you are called of God, unless you then lead as a love offering to God, unless you're doing it in that way, then don't do it. Because God doesn't want you to lead for any other reason, because it has to be done, because someone has to do it, that isn't good enough. Doing it for the appreciation of others, certainly, if you can get it, that isn't good enough either. All of this is meaningless, it's actually less than meaningless to God. And leadership of this kind, leadership with this kind of, of motivation behind it, lazy leadership, that's always looking to cut corners, always looking to do just enough to get by. This kind of leadership is never going to be able to lead the church into holiness. It's never going to be able to safeguard the church's purity of doctrine and teaching. But you know, I, I think as far as, as laziness here is concerned, well, I believe it's actually those maybe more who are full-time elders—that is, pastors and ministers are probably in the place of greatest danger here for while it is true that someone can work themselves to the stands to a standstill serving the church yet you know it is also possible if we've got no integrity and if we're serving maybe an undemanding or even undiscerning people it is actually possible to get by with doing very little in ministry now a particular example of this that is stuck in my memory ...was during my time studying for the ministry... ...I used to stay at that time during my holidays... ...with the then Minister of Solcoats Baptist Church... ...and at that time there was a lovely man's there... ...the church had... ...and it had views right onto the beach in Solcoats. ...and we regularly together used to stand there... ...and look over to the beach and roar with laughter... ...because every single day and repeatedly... ...again and again, every single day... ...no matter the weather we used to see a local Church of Scotland minister out walking, pulling this old black Labrador up and down this beach. Now you couldn't even say that they were well exercised, because they weren't not at the pace they were going at. But what certainly was true, the time spent doing this, what was true was that that man was not fulfilling properly what was his main task of actually caring for the people of God for whom he'd taken responsibility I mean I know they reported him for the RSPCA because of the poor Labrador it looked so sad and pulled along the beach and let me just be clear it's not. I'm not getting any particular denomination Church of Scotland or whatever I'm not doing that because Warren Wearsby he's got a little commentary on 1st Peter and he in this tells of a pastor and I think it's quite probable this was a Baptist given his background he talked in that book of a, a pastor he knew who spends most of his week on the golf course, then on Saturdays listens to tapes of other preachers, you could update that nowadays, and uses their sermons on Sundays. You see, this is a man who's supposed to be devoted to the spiritual well-being of his people. But what spiritually can he expect to lead them into if that's the level of his own spiritual motivation and effort and you know more than that what is he one day going to say as he stands before the throne of God and the main fruit of his life's work is going to be maybe a reasonably good golf swing actually I've come across the story of one church who managed to deal with a, a similar problem to this a problem of this kind you see, their minister, their pastor, he was actually lazy and conceited. And he frequently boasted in public, even from the pulpit, that all the time that he needed to prepare his sermons was, to, was the time it took, the few minutes it took, for him to walk to the church from his man's right next door. That was his preparation. And the elders there had the perfect remedy. They bought him a new man's five miles away. So there you are. <laughs> Dangerous. But the second danger that's referred to here that brings a leader under judgment and makes them incapable of ministering, caring for God's people, is covetousness. The desire for gain. Now, now let's get things right here. Peter isn't saying here that it's wrong for some within the church's leadership to be set aside ...to serve the Lord full time... ...and be supported in this... ...he's not saying that... ...nor is he saying that they shouldn't be... adequately provided for... ...that the spiritual thing is to keep the support at a minimum... ...and as the famous old saying goes... ...we'll keep him poor and the Lord can keep him humble... ...Peter isn't saying this... ...he can't be saying this... ...because this goes... ...right against the clear teaching... ...found elsewhere in the Bible... ...for example in 1 Timothy 5... ...17 to 18... Now what Peter again is probing here is the question of motivation. That if a leader's ministry is motivated before all other things by a desire for financial material gain rather than first out of a compelling desire to love and serve his God and his people. If a leader's first thought is what can I get out of this and not just maybe financially but what can I get out of this? rather than how best can I serve God's people then if that's the case that leader is in a place of sin and impurity and cannot possibly properly lead the people of God into a true holiness and a true purity but you might be thinking as I'm speaking here you know, that's only a problem in places where full time workers in some instances can be very well paid some places say the United States where certain people can, can earn in the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars and these televangelists who can earn far more some there are, are billionaires, some people and not just in Nigeria and Brazil, etc, etc so there you maybe think, well there it's possible money could be a motivation Do you know, I don't believe it is just that I don't believe that is just the case because even in this country that we live in Christian workers can be paid better than a fair percentage of the population. And so while going into Christian ministry can be a sacrifice for many, yet for others, it can be the very opposite. It can lead into a better life material. But again, I want to say something else. Please, let's not fool ourselves here. Not having money, poverty, if our heart is not right with God, can be just as much the cause of a covetous spirit being focused on what others have and what you want to have it can be just as much the cause of that and again if that's true of a Christian leader or a Christian worker then they can't possibly lead their people into true holiness and true spiritual maturity yet another danger of leaders and elders the final one we're going to look at that we're told here of here is is power, the abuse of power, the misuse of power. It says in verse three, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Because you see, while elders do have, I believe, a legitimate authority as leaders in the church, that's actually made clear here in verse five for the one that's translated older in the NIV could and I think sensibly should be translated elders. So then it reads, young men, be submissive to those who are elders. But anyway, leaving that aside, the fact that the elders have a legitimate authority is sadly made clear elsewhere in the Bible. For example, Hebrews 12 verse 17, where it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. However, although there is a legitimate authority, that authority becomes a danger when it is misused or abused. When leaders use it, say, for the sake of their status, when they use it egotistically to build themselves up and to lord it over others, rather than instead using their authority as they should that is for the good of others, to seek to build other people up, to seek to see them grow in faith and love and holiness and purity. And by, and by doing so, being, as we're told here, they should be, as it says, examples to the flock. Leaders being examples then of the humility, of Christ's humility, of his self-giving, self-forgetting, self-sacrificial love. But as the elders were told here, do avoid these dangers. As in this life, they live for God's glory. And so we're told that in the life to come, that then they will receive their reward, the crown of life. I want to say, please don't worry here about the thought of of reward because some people do find this difficult. They feel it's almost introducing a kind of Improper, a kind of worldly bribery to speak of reward. But I want to say to you the problem, if we're thinking that way, is a misunderstanding of what the Bible actually means by reward. Because in Revelation 4, verse 10, we're told there that the elders lay their crown before the throne of God and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So you see, the true reward for the real servant of God is to be able to love and serve and worship more and more the Lord who they've they've loved and served and worshipped all their life. That's the reward of heaven. And I believe that's what the crowns in the Bible, when it talks about crowns, I believe that's what basically that symbolises. But, I don't know, or maybe wondering, what about though, if what about when we think our leaders are overreaching their authority what should we do then how should we deal with that, and and that's an important question it is, for this is a big problem in some churches leading to the publication of various books of the last 20 years or so, things like churches that abuse the subtle power of spiritual abuse so what do we do I think the first thing that we have to do here and and begin by doing is to define the limits of an elders or a Christian leaders authority and I I found a while ago an article by Paul Miller who at one time was a a leader and teacher in YWAM I found what he had to say extremely helpful here because he says, and rightly I believe, that the ultimate authority in the church always rests with Jesus. That's the, the baseline in the New Testament. Jesus is Lord. But Jesus as Lord has handed over on this earth a limited authority to elders, to leaders of the church. In areas though, that are related to the church so elders then have an authority they have an oversight over the doctrine of the church over the ministries of the church and regarding relating to the holiness of God's people and that ties in perfectly with what's said here in 1 Peter about the elders responsibility being to safeguard the church's purity and holiness however Each individual is responsible to God for their personal life. That's something different. Elders can give advice, yes they can, but they cannot interfere as they have at times in the past and perhaps continue to a limited extent are doing in some circles. They can't interfere in things like who a believer marries, where they live, the job that they do, the direction of their career, etc., etc., That's something that somebody has to sort out with Jesus as Lord in their life. Say, though, you think that your elders are out of step. What should you do then? What should you do? Well, I would suggest this. In regard to minor things, speak to your leaders. Say your piece. Try to convince them, if you feel it's right, of what you're saying... And then, having done that, I would say to you, support them. Support them. Because, you see, notice, the Bible doesn't say, obey your leaders when you think they're right. The Bible doesn't say that, because if all of us only do that, then what we'll have is an ongoing rumbling, chaos and anarchy, because there'll always be some, let me tell you, I know this in Baptist churches, always be some... <laughs> Who think the leadership is wrong sometimes some people think the leaders are wrong and everything but that's a different story now, you see the bible says obey your leaders submit to your to their authority and after that there's a full stop there is a full stop and it's only you see and this is why god says this It's only as we do this that will ever be able to pull together and work together unitedly and effectively. As I read somewhere, I think it was in a book by David Watson, he said, it is significant that the regiments with the finest battle are also the regiments with the strictest discipline. But say, say it's not about these relatively minor day-to-day things we're talking about. Say you think... Your leaders are out of step in regard to a key area of the faith or a a significant big decision. Then, what do you do? What should you do? Well, again, I would say, take it to the leadership. And if you get no satisfaction there, if you feel they're just totally wooden-headed or whatever, then take it to the church. Take it to the church meeting that's the final human authority in a baptist church and then at that point submit to the decision of the church unless you feel that they are in error regarding a crucial salvation doctrine see the person of christ the cross the trinity the resurrection doctrines of that kind of magnitude and order Or teaching maybe and acting in ways that are out of line with true biblical holiness. But you know, what you shouldn't do is grumble around the church about your grievance before doing these things. Do these things first. Because you see, that's what the rabble did during the time of Moses. They grumbled to one another That's the sin of gossip. And that will only do the devil's work in terms of causing disunity within the church. And that's not what we want to see among God's people. That's not what we want here. No, I believe what we want to see is the people of God, leaders and God's people, living together and working together as they should in true humility as verse 5 here says clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble so because of that then able to work together as we should for the glory of God and then achieving together the kind of holiness and purity that is God's desire for his people and that does bring him glory by the grace of God may we always be that kind of people built on those kind of principles let's pray together Father we we pray that you'll help us to be a church that truly is built on biblical truth and that reflects those key biblical principles Lord in our leadership and in our living together Help us not to live as this world does, but help us to place your word, your standards and your principles at the very heart of our life. And these things we now pray in Jesus' name. Amen.